Well, Sky, thank you so much for taking time for this. It's so I'm so happy to see you again. I know we connected uh, a few months back. Um, it seems so much has changed. It, it seems like COVID has uh, receded a little bit and people are happy to convene in groups. I just came back from Black Hat and before that I was saying, I was so happy to see so many friends and so many people that I used to connect over Zoom and, and meet them face to face. And but the uh, the bad guys are not sleeping uh, either. So with uh, with with the threat landscape ever changing, I know last time we discussed your views on what top three uh, challenges current and future uh, you see will face CISOs. What has changed recently? What what are you seeing? What do you think six months from now, twelve months from now? Uh, what are some of the existing or maybe emerging challenges will be? top of mind for CISOs? Well, it still continues. I mean, for me, the advanced persistent threat, mm -hmm. are you, APTs are still, you know, they're, you know, they're increasing in pool, you know, and the ability to execute those, you know, as, you know, they're not, they're more offensive, right? They're, they're, they're that's a real problem. They're more offensive. Those continue to be, you know, a huge problem. And I, I don't see those kind of, moving away from the landscape because they're too effective, you know, for, for the scale of damage they're, they're able to create or the chaos they're able to create the monetary costs or the investment in terms of human resources are, is pretty low. So, you know, they, they're a weapon of choice. And so it sounds just, like it's asymmetrical impact, it right? is. Or, but is it because of that, do you see that as more kind of state sponsored attacks like North Korea, Iran, Russia, Eastern Europe in general, uh, China, or do you see, because of the low cost, it's actually criminal groups um, that go after kind of ransomware uh, bounties and um, attacking kind of low hanging fruit, or maybe both. Yeah, no, I agree. So that, that's exactly what you just stated, exactly the technique that's being used. Uh, basically, uh, if you're, you know, if you're a good example, Double Dragon, you know, if you look at that, if you look at that, it's basically, you know, um, it's a hybridized state versus private entity, you know, uh, criminal organization where there's, there's ties to the state, but what, what you're looking at is basically it's a sophisticated rule of, uh, you know, way of engaging be, because it takes you out of the realm of, you know, the rules of engagement that we would consider, you know, or ethics. There's no ethical ties there. It moves them beyond that because they're able to do that. They're able to, you know, move more freely. And that's what makes it very difficult. So it's almost, it's a hybrid type of war, you know, and that's what makes it very difficult. I see. So that's one. And what kind of, uh, what, what are kind of the runner-ups, the number two and number three? Um, I would still say ransomware because it's still so effective. And, you know, we would like to say that our response to ransomware is standardized across, you know, a lot of different industries. It, it's not, you know, it's still, you know, ultimately ransomware, you know, based on, you know, uh, cryptographic, you know, mechanisms, they basically still very effective and causes either long-term or short-term damage. I think generally short-term, but enough to, you know, if you're able to, you know, if you fall, fell victim of ransomware, your company, you know, if, you know, you're going to take a hit financially, basically, you know, and, and depending on the extent of it, what you do, what products and services you're involved in, you know, that's going to drive 
you know, I guess the net effect of, of the ransomware. And then, you know, thirdly, I would say um, the changing geopolitical arena. Uh, I didn't really, you know, mention that before, but I just think, you know, things that are approaching, you know, every major country on the planet's having, you know, some level of turmoil. Uh, I think greater because of COVID, you know, we're seeing a different level of turmoil. We're still in the post-COVID world technically, but, you know, we're still responding to the, basically, you know, the after effects of it, you know, having, you know, the supply chain disrupted so severely, that leaves that very vulnerable. And because of that, that's open to cyber attack. It's more, it's more vulnerable to cyber attack. In other words, since it's already been disrupted, we already have, you know, there's a lot of gaps there. There's a lot of, I I don't like to call them inefficiencies because the only reason why you could call them that, I guess, you know, there are more vulnerabilities, I suppose, vulnerabilities, it's being, they're being exposed to a greater extent because of the supply chain disruption. And that's, I think, occurring pretty much every sector that we see. I see. Well, and kind of to double click on a little bit on the first uh, aspect that you mentioned, the advanced persistent threats, how do you see this playing out? It's just um, the up until now, the whole world was so interconnected. Uh, it seems like TikTok is uh, giving Facebook and uh, Instagram and, and Twitter the run for the money, and it's a Chinese company. Uh, I just saw an article the other day that uh, a huge percentage, a huge share of the drones, um, commercial and uh, and private, are made in China as well. And it's just uh, a, a functionality capacity to take imagery at scale and, and God knows what kind of software they're running. So it seems like some of those chains that were linked, it, it seems like this uh, trend towards globalization, it's kind of, it's, it seems like it's swinging back. So do you see that those countries, who, at least the ones that who can afford it, do you think they'll be going kind of more into more a siloed mode where they will try to wean themselves from providers, either hardware or software or both, and try to create all that in-house and uh, closed loop systems, uh, therefore limiting potential access and potential exposure to those APTs? Or you think it's, it's the ship has sailed and, the, and there is no real defense against employers? Well, that's a good question. That's, a, that's also a really tough one because um, the majority of the manufacturing base for, you know, for, for ICs, um, integrated electronic, you know, you know, integrated circuits or integrated electronics, um, or microprocessors, you know, you know, we have the, the huge presence in, you know, Taiwan and, you know, of course the manufacturing base for a lot of our smart devices is the same. Um, so we've seen that hit the automotive industry really heavily we've seen it hit um not just that but other types of transportation um you know um and when i say that auto, automotive industry i'm i'm just talking about you know the the consumer automotive not necessarily the commercial but there are other types of transportation um they're still motor driven right that we don't think about really uh, you know more in the commercial sector we don't think about it on a daily basis that they've been you know they're a part of the industrial base and the industrial control systems you know, and a lot of them are partially robotic, even though they're driven, they're, they're motor driven, you know, using petroleum based products. They're also robotic, 
um, those have been affected. So um, do I see us kind of, I, I do see us trying to get a grip on it. And like we, we've looked at, you, you see that, you know, the military has, I think, the, you know, the most, not just a, the for, a formal framework, but the most, I don't like to say closed system, but the, I would say the most guarded system, you know, the, you know, the military industrial defense industrial base, you know, and they're, they, they try to, you know, um, their supply chain mechanisms, you know, are really well vetted, but we've also introduced CMMC, you know, as, as that now 2.0, right. And, um, using that maturity model, basically trying to give a higher level of vetting to the supply chain. I don't know. Uh, there's no easy answers here. I mean, the truth is I, I really don't because, you know, the different sectors would have different ways, pathways ahead, you know, in terms of looking at the manufacturing becoming more siloed. I mean, if you look at financial industry or fintech, since they're fully integrated across pretty much everything because it's the way we transact, finance um there they have different answers in every different country you know uh, especially if they're central bank driven you know all the member uh, the member banks that uh subscribe to the you know the federated banks that are central bank driven i i i think that things like aircraft will see probably that start to change uh, becoming more siloed um even the civilian aircraft even though you know, companies like Airbus, I mean, those, those are, they're NATO, you know, countries. So I, you know, if you're looking at uh, things like consumer electronics, like drones, which, okay, drones are UAS, which they have a vast span, you know, you can, from the very, like a, a simple toy that a child would use, you know, or to do anything with to something that's highly complex, that's an industrial drone that go into the multiple tens of thousands or even more, you know, dollars or to the military grade. General Atomics is a good example of that, you know, and they're out of Silicon Valley. General Atomics, they, they, you know, they're, they have that relationship with the military and the defense industrial base that's really, really well vetted and really well tightly, you know, controlled. Those, those are military grade drones. I mean, they're, they're weapons or technically they're cyber weapons, if you think about it, because the entire control mechanism is, is through um, the cyber domain. So, I know that's kind of a, that's not really an answer, but I, I just think it, that's a, that's a really, it's a question that's so wide and vast that I think depends on whatever verticals you're in. And then also how, what horizontal integration you have, you know. And some industries probably more suited than, than others. If you're just moving ones and zeros, that's one kind of set of challenges. If you're actually right. physical goods or, or people, it's, it's it's different and also um and you provided perspective but but you mentioned taiwan which is actually pretty pretty uh, good example because uh i 60 or 70 percent maybe even more of semiconductors in the world is made in taiwan and it's right right next to china and china wants to lay claims and i think that's kind of part of the reason why uh recently it was announced that um, uh, a multi-billion dollar investment in the local production but it will take years uh, to build this kind of functionality, this kind of facility and interim. I mean, it just, it's a sign that the things are swinging in the other direction from, from globalization to uh, being more siloed, but it's going to take time and interim this transition period. It certainly 
some industries will be more exposed than others. Uh, and kind of to follow this if, uh, conversation, if we double click on the second challenge that you mentioned, the ransomware, do you see a solution kind of in the works? And the end of the day, is it just a matter of keeping a parallel system and backup? So if your if your current system get bricked by ransomware, you can flip the switch, uh, restore the backup, and keep running, or or you think it's it's more um, the the vector is more kind of educating your employees and and running simulations, making making sure that they don't click on suspicious links and they don't open or forward emails like what what do you do you see it's something that will get resolved at some point either with technology or training or you think it will continue be to be a major challenge in months and maybe even years to come well i mean that, that's a that's a good question too because that's a two-tiered approach i mean education and training um that's really 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 important but you know that would affect preventative measures you know i mean so you know the, of course the your your goal is to prevent if you could really prevent everything that would be fantastic if you could prevent all of it but i mean I, I know we know that's not realistic so um the response to you know a breach or the response to you know ransomware you know you know or your your, your company you know falling victim to ransomware that's really important especially depending on what you do for a business you know how critical is an outage to you um, both in information, you know, and, and what products or service, you know, are you dealing with, you know, and there's cyber insurance, but, um, you know, it can be expensive and, you know, I, I don't like to, I, you know, go down that road too far either because it's not a good option for everyone, especially small businesses. Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe, you know, budgetarily it's not, you know, the, the risk isn't outsourcing the risk for that financial, uh, type of investment is not feasible, um, I think that education and training is really important and that will definitely decrease ransomware attacks, uh, not attacks, but, you know, actual execution, you know, <laughs> the attacks will probably continue to spin up, get further. But I think, I think that um, it has to be both in a simple answer. You have to do both. Um, but I guess you have to take a measured approach, but I think it's, you know, financially pretty achievable to just increase your education and training, you know, especially small companies. Really? I think you could awareness is important. I think. And but do you see a technological solution that will will either mitigate or completely solve the issue of, of that particular attack? Well, I mean, you know, you know, I I have information. There's certain you know I I can't use any any names, but certain of my counterparts in the U.S. government uh, are kind of moving away from blockchain uh, because of the execution scale and the level of difficulty it would take to implement it. And going towards other things, um, other technologies. Um, but, you know, I think for a lot of businesses, blockchain could be a viable, especially small, it could be a viable way to prevent that. Or, you know, you have to, if you have viable attribution, somehow have viable attribution, you know, going on where you can, you can really validate and verify, you know, whatever's going on in your company. I mean, zero trust, right? That's supposed to address this. And if we start moving towards ZTA, um, which the federal government really doesn't have a choice. I mean, they've been mandated to do that through the executive order, right? That was signed by President Biden. Uh, in, in order to, to do that, you have to move towards that type of architecture, which is, you know, you know, uh, never trust and always verify <laughs> instead of, you know, it's basically uh, always verify. And yeah, sure. I think that would, that would definitely, I don't know, it wouldn't, it's not a hundred percent, but it definitely would decrease it 
severely if we move towards that type of model. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the 31 geopolitics. It sounds like maybe, and I, I can't really tell uh, if it's newspapers are getting more desperate for views and clicks and they're making headlines more and more dramatic, like end of the day kind of dramatic, or it's really just a reflection of the state of the world where the, the times of abundance and calm are behind us because uh, it, it seems like anywhere you look internally, abroad, Europe, Ukraine conflict, China and Taiwan, it's, it's, all, it's, it's getting more and more heated and it scares me. I mean, I, I've, uh, I have a family to think of and, and friends. Um, so, and it seems like unlike, I don't know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago, the conflict, there are so many, so many facets to, to the engagement. It's the propaganda wars through social media. It's the cyber attacks and, and kind of the physical confrontation. So it's, it's, it's multi-pronged um, engagement. So do you see this kind of persisting in the future and getting worse? Uh, are there solutions to this? How do you see this playing out again in the next six to 12 months? I think that, you know, um, they'll, they're going to evolve. They're going to change, but I, you know, because this is cognitive warfare now that we're in, it's, it's no longer, you know, in a lot of people um, because of, you know, the nature of, I think life and just how they're exposed to this may not, look at it that way or or process it that way this is a battle of cognition this is a cognitive battle space so now you know it's it's kind of moved from you know we have kinetic warfare but it's it, since you're they're moving at the speed of elect, electrons now you know the speed of you know the brain or thought you know it's get, you're getting closer to that at least it's not truly at that you know paradigm but you're having you know things you know where you utilizing social media primarily is you know one of the ways that they're doing it there's other ways that they're doing it, but things like Twitter, which enables vast, you know, you know, basically a vast span of, of attack. There's a huge attack factor with Twitter because, you know, any any user can be exposed to that one tweet or that that information. And so any way that they're, they're the way that they're doing that is they're, you know, tweaking things uh, that may not be apparent to the users. You know, they're tweaking, you know, not just algorithms. Engagement, the way they engage, you know, the use of hashtags, you know, they're they're very very effective at it, and I think that's going to improve through the use of um, you know technologies that enable people to, you know, to increase, you know, basically their their cognitive presence. Um, that's going to be through you know AI and ML, you know, which is already being done, and how they're doing that is. If, if you're talking about language, you know, you know, you know, NLP, right? Uh, they're, they're using that uh, technology, you know, GPT-3, right? To arm the attack or to disarm? So, so, so both, uh, both. So that that's the thing. It's It can go either way. You can use it. You can use it to, you know, to create false narratives, you know, or to create a narrative whether or not it's false is going to be up to, you know, where is that information coming from? I'm actually very, I'm fascinated by the subject because uh, you can choose a word that essentially conveys the same meaning, but it, it provides a spin and angle 
and it totally changes the the meaning and the intent of the of the of a headline. And right. often you see, uh, like taking a nonpartisan approach, sometimes the same event, uh, same event, same facts, but just different spin, different choice of words, gives a completely different perspective, completely different narrative on, on both sides of the aisle. So it's for me, for me, it's fascinating and it's interesting. It's I think there are a lot of parallels. You you mentioned cognition. It seems uh, the same, not the same, but as you can infect a computer with a virus, uh, you can infect a mind with uh, an idea virus, something just so captivating and basic um, that it's scary because when it's done at scale, it, it, it can move people, uh, it can move public opinion and can uh, move sentiment. It can move people to action. Um, so, f and it's fascinating that it could be done with technology and it could be done by people with intentions uh, less than savory. So it's uh, it's certainly, it's certainly a very, very interesting space. And the same way, I'm very curious about technology that would disarm something like this. It would flag words that could be inflammatory and swap them for words that just convey facts and not necessarily carry this emotional baggage with them as well. Yeah, that's the secret. You just revealed the secret. Um, emotionality, uh, the, 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 whole, the whole intent is to move it away from logic and into the emotional sphere and emotional engagement is where it's won. It, and it's very effective. It really works. If, you know, if it didn't, if it didn't, then it wouldn't be so effective. It really does. And you see that. So instead of stating, you know, let's say a hundred plus a hundred is 200, you know, they'll, you know, somebody will state, you know, the lack of a hundred has caused this many deaths or the lack of the lack of 100 is equals 100 and that's shorted you know the the net impact of that is caused they'll give you an emotional something any any emotional trigger and it, and it works so, so then you'll see people tweeting retweeting or responding they'll engage immediately it's like oh you know they'll say you'll see all these horrific yeah. and none of them are fact-based they're all emotional well it's the there's an old saying in the uh, newspaper industry if it bleeds it leads right so if uh yep that's correct. Uh, there was a there was a famous meeting in New York Times when they discussed what's going to go on the first page. Uh, well, I think most of it is uh, print is not as important right now as uh, as it used to be, but it used to be uh, one of the most important conversations that uh, editors could have in a newspaper is like what's going to go on the top of the headline on top on 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 the top of the first page. That's that's kind of the tension grabber. Scott, well, uh, shifting gears a little bit uh, and kind of going back to um, the world, going back to kind of meeting face to face. Uh, we're at Definia, uh, thinking of some of the ways other other than Zoom, other than um, those uh, CISO wire updates that we send out every every week. We're thinking of uh, hosting small scale face to face local events and we're trying to look at kind of best of breed um whether it's Avanta or maybe uh cyber risk alliance there's a handful of various communities i'm wondering and we just want to see what works so we can um borrow the best the best ideas kind of from your experience what some of the other communities you're involved in and what did you see work in terms of the format the scope um of those events whether it's social gatherings or sponsored dinners or mini conferences or lunches or what have you. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think, I think social events are the best way to do it. I mean, of course, I, ISC squared without, you know, I'm very active in ISC squared, especially 
in the the veterans you know the veterans you know uh scholarship arena um i you know which of course you know the cissp and all of their very you know uh very you know uh certifications that are probably i mean to me yeah, and a lot of folks don't know this, but originally, you know, the CISP was developed for the DOD, that certification. It was, you know, so it, it tends to have a, and it has always had a pretty, you know, a stellar reputation. And so does ISC squared. So um, they have chapter events. Um, I'm not saying that that model is the best, but I, I think that, you know, um, following, you know, well, geolocation is really important. You know, uh, I, of course it has to be local. Um, and uh, I think that social is good too because it, it gives people uh it kind of lightens the mood and gives people more engaging experience and they're more likely to share things, you know, more openly than sometimes if it's if it's more of a of a, of a conference type environment. Sometimes people aren't as, you know, open. Uh, you know, if it's more casual, I think it's that's a great idea, I think. Okay. Well, um we're kind of putting our calendar together for the remainder of the year and probably Q1, Q2 next year. And certainly, uh, if there are events in your area, we'd love would love to see you there. I know we're coming up on time, um, and I'm sure some of our members want to reach out. What's the best way to connect? Is it LinkedIn, uh, a website? Where, where do you want people uh, to go to to find and, and engage with you? Oh yeah, LinkedIn is great. Um, uh, that's that's my favorite. You know, I, I get um, I I have to apologize if people try to reach me on that. Um, because it, it, it's a difficult to keep up, <laughs> but, but please, uh, if I don't answer first, please be persistent. I will, I will answer you. Um, but yeah, I prefer LinkedIn and, um, um, that's it. I think that's it. I mean, you know, um, I mean, I have a website, but I prefer LinkedIn because um, awesome. you'll, you'll default, you kick you to LinkedIn anyway, as my preferred. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Sky, thank you so much for your time. Um, again, as I mentioned, as soon as we put our calendar of events together, we'd love to see uh, you kind of attending maybe those, or maybe we can put a, um, a panel of sorts together. We'd love, we'd love to have you join. Uh, but again, I, I really appreciate your time. This was awesome. Thanks, Misha. Uh, please reach out anytime. It's, a, it's always a, a great thing. And uh, I enjoy actually the affiliation with Finia and, and, you know, the portal is really great, especially uh, it's actually, I'll tell you this to, in my, from what I've seen is the best uh, in terms of uh, not just uh, advertising jobs, but also kind of keeping a pulse on where people are, you know, it's better than anything I've seen. It could, because if you go to any of the other uh, portals, it's, it's not as specific as Affinia is. Affinia is very specific and, and I really appreciate it. I think it's, uh, I think you're best in class, to be honest. Thank you so much. I just made my day. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, guy. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome.